His love never fails. It never, never gives up on us. That's basically the principle of what Paul is trying to say to us in the seventh chapter here in Romans. Uh, I, uh, I can't tell you how much I love you all. We're going to have communion after this service. So during this time, I, I believe the Lord might reveal something to you. If He does, deal with it. First um, John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will not deny us. And so that verse is written to us as a family of God, believers. That is a verse that is critical in our lives. So as we go to have communion, um, this is going to be just kind of one of those special times, and it's going to be a lead up to Good Friday. We'll have communion on Good Friday, and it'll also be a lead up till Easter. And I want to share with you something. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, one of my fears in, 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 in doing messages is Easter and Christmas. Because normally we're having our guests come, our family, people that uh, don't often come to church will normally come on, on Easter Sunday or on Christmas time. And, and sometimes I have to prepare a message that is topical. In other words, I get it out of somewhere else that speaks about Easter or speaks about uh, Christmas. In this case... Paul ends this, this series in, in, in Romans chapter 7 by making a statement in verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Now you've got to recognize when we go through this, keep reminding yourself, this isn't some baby Christian. This is an apostle of God Almighty making this lament, wretched man that I am. And then he asks a rhetorical question because he answers it immediately. Who will set me free from this body of death? And then he says, of course, thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we get to that place, um, if you look with me at chapter 8, where we will end up on, on Easter, Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen. For the law of the spirit of life. Life in Christ. The very resurrection of Christ. This life in Christ has set you and me free. From the law of sin and of death. It's just a natural tie-in to Easter. So I'm pretty excited about that. To just study on. I want to make a confession to you. Just so you'll know. I'm going to be speaking next week. Basically to the, your guests those people that you've invited, those people that don't normally come to church all the time. Now I want to, as, as gently and yet as, um, gee whiz, I would like to present Christ as, as purely as possible. And so I'm going to try to do that with all my heart. And then what we'll do is the following week, we'll kind of tie up all the loose ends of, of Romans chapter 8. If we've left anything out that was for, for us, the meat and the potatoes of those verses, we'll go back to it, if you don't mind. So just for your edification, bring a, a family member. Bring someone, because we are going to present the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ and how we desperately need to know him. So, um, I, that in mind, I, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, well, I don't want to, let's take care of 
we don't even know what next week holds. Let's take care of this week. We've got, by the grace of God, we've got this moment that we can spend with the Lord and with one another. And so let's, uh, let's do that. By the way, this, this morning I was asked uh, by someone very faithful here in our church to pray for a young boy who is um, 11 or 12 years old, I'm not certain. His name is Parker Eckbird, and he has a brain cancer. And uh, hopefully by now, the, the doctors are through with the surgery on, uh, on him for his brain cancer. Um, he's being operated on this morning, and hopefully by now they're through, and hopefully by now they have everything under control. His name is Parker Eckbird. Uh, just Dick would appreciate your prayers for this young boy. And then with that in mind, I want to lift up to you Dr. Stroman, who is very faithful here at this church and who has just undergone a pretty major uh, heart surgery himself. And he's waiting patiently now for a, a heart that uh, they might be able to transplant plant in him. In the, in the process now, he is, uh, being, he is healing and getting well. And hopefully he will be his old self again real soon. So, um, I don't normally do that, but um, I thought I would this morning. I thought I'd just pray with you over these people. Um, read with me, please, this place in Scripture. And as we read through here, I want you to, to recognize fully what's taking place. There is a conflict. There's a conflict in the heart of a man that all of us could aspire to be like. Paul, the Apostle. He is the one who wrote most of the New Testament that you and I understand and get to know God because of, of Paul. He is, he is fighting this innermost conflict against sin. And it's not an unsaved man who's crying out in verse 24, wretched man that I am. This is Paul, the apostle. And so I want us to consider that as we read through it. Why do I want us to consider it? Well, because I believe that Paul wrote this, this is my speculation only. I believe Paul wrote this under the inspiration, of course, of God the Holy Spirit for you and for me. I think he wrote this for those of us who feel that, it's okay, who, who feel because of sin that we're kind of out of the race, that, that we've done something that disqualifies us, uh, and, and we wrestle with the fact of who are we now, uh, this human being who falls short. I think Paul wants us to recognize fully, I believe the Lord God does, that we all fall short. We all need First John 1 John 1.9. That's why the Lord gave it to us as believers. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What I believe Paul is saying to you and me is, if you've fallen down, if you've, if you've wrongly gotten out of the race, so to speak, dust yourself off and get back in. Because all of us are desperately needing one another. I mean, your gift that has been given to you personally by God as a, as a, a spiritual gift has been needed within the body of Christ. We desperately need one another so that we might grow, so that we might become all that God wants us to become. So don't allow Satan to, to, to confuse you or to befuddle you or to make you think that, you know, you're not worthy. Ah, we're none of us worthy. All of us need, though, to be in the race. All of us need to walk 
the best we know how to walk our walk with our Lord and to encourage one another. And I think in my own way of looking at this now for the last, well, for quite some time, but, but just recently, I'm just sort of convinced that that's what Paul is, is trying to say. Look, look at me. He's kind of just split himself wide open and said, look, look, I, I fall short too. Listen to his words and see if you don't see. Instead of, remember when he said, a couple of weeks ago, we said in Philippians chapter 3, when Paul said, here's his testimony, he says, as far as I am concerning the law, I am found to be, do you remember what he said? Blameless. Blameless. But now, after he examines himself in this position that he is now as a believer, he doesn't see himself as blameless. He sees himself as wretched man that I am. And so I think that can relate to every single one of us, in one form or another. Please read with me and consider the wonders of this wonderful man named Paul, who really just becomes as transparent as possible. He says in verse 14 of chapter 7 of Romans, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into the bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. I am doing the very thing I hate. Verse 16. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, then I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which, indwells, which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members." And so he exclaims in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? His answer is clear. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. You see it? The wrestling match that, that he's exposing himself to us, that he's going through, I don't believe with any hesitation that, that, that every single one of us here can relate to that in some degree or another. All of us, hopefully, are, are aware that there is this war that's raging within us. On, on one hand, we want to do these things for God, and, and on the other hand, 
gosh, what happened to me? I mean, it's like hearing a, a, a good message or something that, that really blesses your heart. And you say, this is it. I am really going to walk with the Lord. And you're just, you know, nice and kind to everybody on the way out. And you get in your car and you get on the freeway. And no more than 10 minutes away, somebody cuts you off. And you let them know he's the number one driver in all of the United States. And you think to yourself, what, where did that come from? Where, where, how could I be that angry that fast? And that's the war that wages on within us. And what I think Paul is saying, I think you'll agree with me, is don't give up. If you find yourself in that state, just immediately say, Lord, forgive me. That was wrong. Confess your sin. He will be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And therefore, you can walk in this ongoing pattern of walking with Christ. And maybe in your life you'll want to have things, something that, that, that is a a barometer of how are you how are you doing i don't know what it is i've already explained to you over and over again for me it's the watch that beeps it's this old watch it has nothing to do with time it's pretty accurate really but it's not a timepiece for me it's a reminder and then i bought i told you this a long time ago on our 10th anniversary almost 30 years ago now about KME, a, a grandfather clock that sits in our house. It used to be one of my, it still is one of my favorite things in my home. It used to be to tell time. It isn't anymore. Now it rings on the half hour and the hour. And when it rings, it, it, it reminds me of the same thing when I hear it. John, how are you walking with the Lord? And sometimes I must say to you, it's pretty darn good. I've been in the middle maybe of prayer for this church or for you or in the middle of a message and then I must confess to you there are times when I, I think, oh my Lord, forgive me. What was I thinking? What was I doing? I think we all need these things to draw us back because in our lives there is this war that is raging within us and Satan is trying to is trying to render you and me out of the race. I was thinking of a more fancy word, but I couldn't come up with it. He's trying to render us inept. No, I don't know. Hmm? Irrelevant. Thanks. That's good. See? Thank you. And we are not irrelevant. We are very relevant. We are very important to our Lord. So don't let Satan win this battle. That's what Paul is saying. Let's study this place. Let me first pray with you. Lord, we, we want to we wanna set our hearts for communion. We want to uh, have this time where we remember as we walk into this wonderful season of Easter and First Good Friday, Lord, um, that we can walk into it um, as pure as possible with you. And so, Lord, will you bless us as we go through this, this place in Scripture? It's it's such a wonderful place. Really, all of this chapter as well as chapter 8 are going to be just amazing chapters to be in. And so bless us, Lord, and would you please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And would you please, Father, move me out of the way? Allow me not to hinder what you would like to say to every single one of us as we prepare our hearts for communion, to remember, to remember, Father, who you are in our lives, why we love you so, why our relationship with you is so critical. Bless us, please, dear Father. 
We pray these things in the most precious name that could be ever named. The name of your Son, Father, whom you gave on Good Friday and allowed him to die on the cross and shed his blood for our sin. And that one, Father, whom you raised from the dead three days later, never to die again. We pray in the most magical name of all names. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, it's, it's obvious by now that this, this account is, is a person's innermost conflict with sin, but Paul is allowing us to see himself. And so I've already said, but I want you to know that this is not just some unsaved guy who's crying out, wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free from this body of death? No, no, this is a saved apostle by the name of Paul. The word wretched in verse 24 carries with it the, the thought of exhaustion over struggling. When he asks, who's going to set me free? I'm going to tell you a story about a certain tribe in Tarsus that I believe that Paul took this, this whole statement of who will set me free from this body of death. I will explain that to you at the end of the message. But it's almost like he's, he's frustrated, this, this exhaustive struggle. Do you not feel that at times? Do you not feel like, wow, here I am, I want to be good, and yet on the other hand, I don't do good, and I'm, I mean, I might as well just give up. I, I, I can't help. I can't help the church. I'm kind of always in sin. Don't allow yourself to go there. First John 1 John 1.9, it's written for us. It's written so that we can confess our sins at a moment's notice and He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't allow yourself to go there. It's almost like he is wrestling like Jacob of old who wrestled with God. Who will set me free? Now, verses 14 to 25 is, is breaks down into, it's, it's really an outline, if you, if you look at it correctly. It, it, it breaks down into four groupings. The first three groupings are, are pretty similar. Verses 14 to 17 is one group. Verses 18 to 20 is another group, second group. Verses 21 to 23 is the third group, which brings us to the solution. Verses 24 and 25. It ultimately, that, those two verses answers the all-important question that Paul has put out before us. Who is going to set me free from this body of death? Paul says there's a problem in verse 14, but it's not the law. No, the law is spiritual. The problem is our flesh. The problem started way back in Genesis. We'll mention it, where where Adam and Eve went and took of the fruit that the Lord said, you can eat from all the trees in the garden. Don't, don't worry. Just don't, don't eat from that one in the middle of the garden. The day you eat from that one, you shall surely die. And they did. They ate from that. And then the whole idea of sin came upon mankind in form of a curse. And we're a part of that curse. And so we are, the law is spiritual, but we're flesh. We've been sold, as it says in verse 14, into the bondage of sin. That's the part of what happened in the garden. Now note, and this is one of these things that I'm not going to go off on, but, but I do want you to note it. I want you to note there that 
But Paul says, I was born in, he says, I am of flesh. He does not say I am in the flesh. Now, why is that important? You got a nitpick to find this one, but it's in chapter 8, verse 8. If you look at chapter 8 and verse 8, it says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so he is not saying that you and I, once we've come to Christ, are in the flesh. Not at all. We are of the flesh. There is a battle going on within us. Let me give you the point that, that explains that. The book of Corinth, First and Second Corinthians, that was not written necessarily to build theolo our theological uh, standard of a church upon. No. The, the, churches, the church in Corinth was, was in de desperate trouble. Paul went to that church to try to help solve the problems that they were having. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says to them, And I, brethren, talking to the family of God, the church there in Corinth, he says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men and women. I couldn't speak to you as such. I had to speak to you as men and women of flesh. Not in flesh, but of flesh. As to infants or babies in Christ. Immature believers. But still believers. Still believers. Paul confesses later in this 7th chapter, the 18th verse. He says... I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. That's his old self. Nothing good there. That was the one that said, according to the law, I am found blameless. Now? No, no, not blameless. Wretched man that I am. Who's going to set me free? Not blameless anymore, but wretched. Imagine, even as an apostle... Paul fought this battle that you and I face against sin, our flesh. But Paul's not alone. Now, we, you know, we could have gone on and on and on with people, men and women in the Bible, who wrestled this wrestling match. And one of my heroes, of course, is, I've said to you before, besides Paul, is David. Now, I, I love David for many reasons. Number one, I love David because he was a warrior. I also love David because he was a renaissance man. He, he wrote poetry. He sang. He, David was, was unique. David was really special. But David was a, was a pretty, pretty bad sinner. David did things that you and I might not ever do. Ever do. And yet, why I like David? I like David because God chose to call David... You know what? What? A man after his own heart. I mean, wouldn't you, I mean, really, wouldn't you want to be called that? Of all the things in Scripture, I really wouldn't mind that one. And what gives me hope about David is that David wasn't like this guy that's pure, you know. He did things I, I, don't, I don't think I'm ever going to do. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. Listen to David's lament in the Psalms 51. 51, verses um, 1 through 3. You can turn to it if you wish, but listen. Listen to his lament. Listen to what David prays. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to, note, 
your loving kindness. Not my loving kindness to you, to you, dear God, but your loving kindness to me, according, he says, to the greatness of your compassion. Not my compassion, David says, but your compassion, Lord. Blot out my transgressions. In other words, take my sin and remove it as far as the east is to the west and remember it no more. Blot it out, dear Lord. He says, verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Listen to Dave's. Listen to his lament. Listen to what he says. For I know, verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sins, what, are ever before me. They're with me every day, Lord. They haunt me. Blot them out. Wash me thoroughly. When Isaiah stood before God, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had the privilege of going into the very throne room of God and said that his, his robe and his, the train of his robe just covered the whole, the whole temple. And there was smoke, just incense that, f- that flowed everywhere. And when Isaiah saw God in all of his glory in that place, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. What did both of those guys see? They saw their sin. You see, the closer a Christian draws near to God, the more clearly that person perceives the Lord's holiness and their own sinfulness. Which is one of the reasons why we study as we do here, which is another reason why some people don't stay. It's hard. It's hard to hear over and over again, you're wretched. (laughs) You know what? The Lord says none of you are righteous, not even one. You see, most churches get crowds say, there's nothing wrong with you. No, 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 don't look at your Bibles. Don't look at your Bibles. Don't, 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 don't open up your Bibles because there's visitors that come and we don't want to upset our visitors. So we'll look at our Bibles elsewhere. Don't look at your Bibles here. You're fine. You're absolutely fine. In fact, you're great. God loves you and so do I. No, no, no. God says you're a wretched sinner and you need to repent, desperately need to repent. And that's, that doesn't normally sell. But because of who you are and because of what this church is all about and because you, you would not have it any other way, we preach the Bible word upon word, line upon line. And so the closer, though, that you and I come to see God in all of His glory, the more we're going to see how sinful we are. But on the other hand, the more you understand God and His glory and His forgiveness and His holiness and His grace the more you'll understand how completely and forever cleansed you and I are of our sins and how assured we can be that we will be in heaven one day. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And so that's the the reason that we study as we do. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the greatest privileges I have as a a pastor of a church is to do funerals. Funerals of, of people who... Are, are, are believers and the family will come to me and I will ask them the same question every time um, because it's, it's the, the funeral is never about me it's about the family and I'll say how do, you want the, how do you want the gospel to be presented 
And I just love it when they say, we've got a lot of family members here that never go to church, and this might be the only time they hear it. Will you preach the gospel? And I, I, they, don't, they don't see, but inside I'm going, oh yeah, I let me at them, let me at them. It's one of my favorite audiences, to be honest with you, because it's a, it's a very precious moment in the lives of people, and I try with all my heart to be as tender as possible, but to be as assertive as possible as I can to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, a believer at death has been prepared by God to enter into God's presence. And we hold on to the most precious possession that anyone could ever hold on to, and that's Jesus Christ, who has given to every one of us who have trusted in Him His perfect holiness, His perfect righteousness, and His purity. We have been given grace, which, by the way, is one of the problems in this book of Romans. You see, when Paul taught this book, he taught grace. Do you remember what they asked him? When he taught grace, they said, Oh, then should we sin so that, that, that God's grace will flow out even deeper? And he said, Oh, God forbid. But that is normally the, 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 the process of, of what happens when you preach clearly God's grace. He has forgiven you and me of all our sin. And there is nothing that you can do to stop Him saving you once you've come to Christ. <sighs> because of your spiritual birth, your sins are totally and completely forgiven. All of them finished and completed at the cross. What we celebrate next week. Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Listen to these two verses that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, when you were dead, dead in your transgressions, and dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven you all your transgressions. All of them. Not some. Not those that you've just committed up to the time you've accepted Him. Then you're on your own once there. No, all your trans... Listen, listen, it goes more in the next verse. Listen to the next verse. You talk about a great verse. Verse 14, Colossians 2.14. He canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against you, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You want to know what your sins are? They're on the body of Christ, on the cross. He has died for every single one of them. It's the most precious gift. That's why we should be... That's why, you know, when they say, wow, you Christians, you go crazy on Easter. Well, I would hope so. Easter, Easter is where we recognize fully that our Savior is risen from the dead, never to die again, and to take us with Him because he took our sins upon himself, that cross. Now, while we were here on earth, that's another story. Look at, look at verse 15 again. Paul says clearly, while we are on this earth, he says, my sin affects me deeply. He says, that which I am doing, verse 15, I don't understand. 
I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm doing the very thing that I hate. Paul's proof that sin still indwells him was the reality of what he confessed here in verse 15. That he is doing the very thing that he hated to do. He's not doing what he wanted to do. Just the opposite. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 9, just a part of that verse, Paul says, don't turn back. Don't turn back to your old way of living that enslaves you over and over again. In other words, don't turn back to your old way of life. No. Find this newness of life that is in Christ Jesus and, and know that you're going to have a war in your hands. It's going to be a battle. And you're going to have to you're going to have to sometimes feel like you're, you're going nuts because you've confessed that sin over and over again. Don't stop. Keep confessing it. I am a testimony that there are certain things that God will take away from you to a point where, you know, I, there was this, I used to drive home a certain way down Santa Ana Canyon Road, and I always went, and I couldn't go that way. It's the way I'm wired, without thinking about this one person that hurt me deeply. It's a long time ago. None of you even know who this person is. And he hurt me deeply, and I couldn't help. And when I used to go down that road, I used to say, forgive him, but come, kill him, Lord. Forgive him, but kill him. You know, and it got to a point where I'd say, well, forgive him, and or injure him, and don't kill him. And then I got to a point, <laughs> I got to a point where I said, forgive them, Lord. And then I got to a point where I went down that road and I started to think, when's the last time I prayed for that guy? When was the last time I wanted him dead? I couldn't remember. And all of a sudden in here there was a peace. And I said out loud, bless him, Lord. I'm telling you, that was a victory. That was a victory, but it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. It took a year or two. It was a process that I was going through. And I'm telling you, I understand a little bit when Paul says, wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free? So you can imagine Paul's dilemma. He, f he called himself in Philippians 3 blameless, according to the law, but when he really looked at himself in the eyes of God, he saw himself as wretched. Wretched. You can feel Paul's pain, I think, when he cries out in verse 15, I am doing the very thing that I hate. Let me ask you a question as we move on. Just to stop for a moment, just to ask you, do you hate your sin? I mean, not the big ones. Everybody hates the big ones. Those ones that, you know, that those big ones. Now, do you hate that little thing that just is, you shouldn't do, you know you shouldn't do, but it's not that big a deal. You'll f confess it at night. Do you hate it? Hate it. Paul did. What I believe of Paul is, he was wrestling with the very thing that Dr. J. Vernon McGee said at the end of his life. It wasn't those big sins that was bothering him. It was those little things that he did. He, he pretty much got rid of all the big ones. But it was those little ones that made him feel inadequate, wretched. You know what, what saved Paul? The very thing that you and I study. Verse 16, look. This was saved Paul. Paul says, But if I do the very thing that I don't want to do, then I agree with the law. 
In other words, we learn that the law in Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 is our tutor that leads us to Christ so that we become justified by faith. So Paul says, if I do the very thing I don't want to do, then I agree with the law. I confess that the law, the word of God, is good. In other words, I'm not blameless, not at all. I agree with the law. The law is good. The law is blameless. I am a wretched sinner that needs to repent of my sin. So Paul now deals with the reason of his inability to fulfill God's law in verses 16 and 17. Watch how this rolls out. If I do the very thing that I don't want to do, then I agree with the law. I confess the law is good. So no longer am I the one doing it, but sin, the sin that dwells in me. Paul agrees with the law. He says, whatever the reason for my doing the very thing I don't wish to do, he says, it's, it's not the fault of the law of God. It's not God's fault. It's my fault. I'm the one that's doing wrong. You see, Paul sincerely wishes to honor the law. And, and the sin which, which so entangles him is keeping him from this perfection. Which, by the way, is the very reason we needed Christ. We know one thing about him, a lot of things about him, but we know for certain... Did you hear that? It was beeped. Pretty good. I'm all right right now. <laughs> yeah. Catch me when don't catch me when I'm on the freeway with this thing beeped. No, and, and, and it's, it's um, uh, oh, where was I? That, that threw me off. Oh, perfection. The reason that we need Christ, we know about Jesus, he was perfect. You see, only perfection could have died for your sin and my sin. Only God Almighty. And that's why we love our Savior so much. And listen to this. This is really important because this is the whole idea of grace. Paul was not trying to escape his responsibility for his own sin. No, no. Paul saw that he was accountable for what he had done wrong. Listen, if you and I were not responsible for the sin in our lives, then 1 John 1, 9, and especially verse 10, would not have been necessary. I would encourage you to remember 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, though, very seldom is verse 10 thrown in. Listen to verse 10. But if we say that we've not sinned, then we make God a liar and His word is not in us. Folks, we're all sinners. There's no two ways about it. And the closer you and I draw unto God, the less and less blameless, like Paul, we'll see ourselves, and the more and more we're going to see ourselves as wretched people who are desperately in need of a Savior. No, the true believer is continually recognizing and confessing their sin so as to keep our fellowship with God hand in hand. You see, I think 1 John 1, 9, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think John, 1 John 1, 9 is our only hope to really have pure fellowship with God. For those of us that want a pure walk with our Lord, 1 John 1, 9 is as close as we can come. 
to having our sins forgiven on the spot. Second problem, verses uh, 18 and 19. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's in, that is in my flesh. Then he says, this is a dilemma. I wish, the wishing is present, but the doing of the good, ah, not so much. The good that I wish, I don't do. I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Paul points out that sin still dwells in his flesh, just as it does in you and me. He's not been transformed yet, neither have you and I. We're not dead yet. We are alive. And with this life that we have, we carry along this, this mortal body of ours, who is, which is, I should say, capable of sinning. You see, Paul had a deep desire to do good. He truly, as it said, wished to do well. Unfortunately, he said the doing that he wished wasn't there. He didn't do it all the time. Paul's not saying by any stretch of the imagination that he is totally incapable of doing anything that was good and acceptable. All of us have that. When we when we minister or minister, when we do something in, in using God's gift or we are kind to another person, we, have, we are very capable of doing good. There's, that's not a good reason to say, you know, there's all goodness in this world. No, we're all, everybody, even the most wretched of person is capable of doing something good. Paul wasn't saying that. He is saying that he is incapable of completely fulfilling the requirements of God's holy law of being perfect. He even wrote so. I love this part where he wrote in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to it. Don't, don't turn. You look at it later. If you want to turn to it, of course do. But in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14, it's the most, it's just amazing verses to me. Paul is saying, not that I have already obtained it. Or that I have already become perfect. No, he says, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, speaking to us, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I love it. I press on, he says. In other words, have you fallen down? Have you kind of, kind of messed up? Then get up. Dust yourself off and press on, Paul says, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I wrote myself a note. I'm going to give it to you. Are you still pressing on? Or have your sin or someone else's sin stopped you? hindered you? Is it a heart's desire of yours as we go into communion in a while to continue pressing on? So Paul says in verse 19, rather I practice the very evil that I don't wish. Again, it's important to understand, please listen, this great inner struggle that we're watching unfold here in verses 14 to 25 is not experienced by a childish believer, but by a mature man of God, Paul. Yeah, even an apostle. And the source of his problem is verse 20. If I'm doing the very thing that I don't wish, 
Then he says, it's no longer myself who's doing it. It's the sin that is dwelling in me. What he's doing here in verse 20 is repeating what he's already said, not verbatim, but, but pretty close with a slight variation, verses 16 and 17. And so the third problem arises out of verse 21 to 23. He says, and the third problem that he has, verse 21, I find then the principle, that's really the key, the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. And he says, I joyfully concur with the law of God. In other words, I, I agree with the law of God. I'm, I'm fighting this fight against sin. The third problem is, is almost identical to the first two. The problem is the principle that evil, verse uh, 21, the principle that evil is present in Paul, in us, in you, in me, the person who wishes to do good. You know, the continual presence of evil in a believer's life is so universal. It so encompasses every single one of us that Paul refers to it as the principle of evil. It's it's, it's, it's in all of us. It's when the Lord God Almighty warned Cain. When Cain brought the Lord a gift that was not acceptable to God. It was the fruit of the ground. It wasn't the blood of an animal. And so the Lord God said to Cain, Cain, I have no regard for what you brought me. It's not what I've asked you to bring. And then the Lord God said to Cain, Cain, sin's crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, Cain. But you must master it. To this day, folks, sin is crouching at our door. We've got to master it. We must. And so Paul, Paul proves he's a new man. And how? Well, verse 22 and 23. I joyfully concur with the law of God. So do I, Paul. And I hope you do too. Paul's proof that sin no longer is his master is his being able to say, I joyfully concur with the law of God. It's waging war against the law of my mind. In other words, Paul is on the side of the law of God. He willfully says, there's a war being waged and I joyfully concur with God's law. It's not that Paul's salvation was imperfect. In fact, from the moment Paul got saved, the, the moment you and I get saved, we are completely acceptable by God. We drop dead right now. We go to heaven straight up if we're a believer in Jesus Christ. But as long as you and I remain in these mortal bodies that we have, we're going to be subject to temptation and sin. Paul taught the believers in Corinth, again, Immature believers, not spiritual believers. Believers, he says, though we walk, let me read it to you. Um, I added a verse maybe, and, yeah, Daniel did already. I threw one in last, last uh, service, and before I can turn around, he's already put it up there. I didn't have, um, in the first example, I didn't have uh, verse 5, but I felt that verse 5 was really necessary. In verse 3 of first, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
Our weapons are, of warfare are not the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Listen to verse 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You want to you have master over your sin, then you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So Paul, what's the solution? Well, it's right before us in verses 24 and 25. Paul allows us to see himself for who he feels he is. Wretched man that I am. That's who I am, folks. I'm the Apostle Paul that wrote most of the New Testament. And I, like you, am a wretched man. And then he asks the rhetorical question. He knew the answer. Who's going to set me free from this body of death? He answers it, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on the one hand, I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving sin. Who's going to set me free? The word set me free is really interesting. I told you I was going to tell you a story about this tribe in, near Tarsus. The word set me free is in the Greek, R-H-U-O-M-A-I. It's a basic meaning of being rescued from danger. It is reported, I believe this with all of my heart, but I don't know that it's true. This was in a commentary by John MacArthur. It is reported that near Tarsus, where Paul was born, there was a tribe that sentenced convicted murderers to execution. They died. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Life for a life. But they just didn't kill them. Here's what they did with them. They took the corpse of the person that they slain and they tied that dead body tightly to the killer's body. And it remained on him until the murderer himself died. Normally the murderer, John MacArthur wrote, it, what seemed like, doubtless Johnny wrote, an eternity for the decaying person to infect him, it usually wasn't that long a time before the murderer of this person was infected by the body that he was strapped to and it killed him. Perhaps, John MacArthur wrote, Paul had such torture in mind when he expressed his yearning, who is going to free me from this body of death? You see, I believe Paul recognized fully that he was carrying around this sin. He was strapped to it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and he wanted to be freed from that part of himself. The answer he, he expresses joyfully is, thanks be to God. It'll be done through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is your, my, Paul's solution. He's the only solution. Would the ushers kind of get ready to give out communion? Uh, I want to tell you this. I want you to go into communion with me uh, thinking about this, please. Um, would you look with me, please, at... Uh, I, I know maybe some of you put your Bibles away, but let me read it to you. It's in Romans chapter 8. We go into communion. I want you to think about this for a moment.
Paul testifies in chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, Paul writes, not to be worthy and to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. In other words, as frustrating and as painful as your present struggle may be with sin, just like mine was with that, that drive, that ride I had when I would just, I was just eating myself alive with, with anger towards this person. And, and that person never felt it. I was the only one. I was killing myself. As frustrating and as painful as this struggle you may be having with your sin, or the tough circumstances that you might be going through. Paul says this temporary earthly predicament that we're in is nothing compared to the eternal glory that awaits us in heaven. Lord, um, there's times where words are just not adequate. They're just not what you've done for each of us that that know you, Father, is amazing. Lord, um, thank you for this time of the year. We can go into Easter celebrating um, a risen Savior. We thank you first and foremost for uh, Good Friday, that, that time we, we celebrate that you died for the sin of this world. And then we celebrate Father Easter where we can just be so thankful that you rose from the dead never to die again. So bless us. Bless the family members and friends who will come next week that perhaps don't come to church very often and perhaps don't know you yet. Will you prepare their hearts, Father, to hear a message that hopefully comes from your heart to theirs. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.